Welcome to the Indian Prairie Podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Jovenin, Director of Innovation. And Candy Michali, Director of Professional Learning. Today's episode, we will be discussing supporting students. Joining us today, we have invited Jess Thomas from Matia Valley High School and Melissa Wilson from Nico Valley High School to provide us with some insights on this topic. Welcome, Jess and Melissa. Will you please introduce yourselves? Good morning. Uh, my name is Jess Thomas. I am the English Department Chair at Matia Valley High School. Um, I've been in the district for 14 years, so um, or 12 years. I've been there. I've been here since uh, Matia opened. Um, I've been teaching for 14 years and um, have been the department chair for two. I was a teacher in the department beforehand. Hi, I'm Melissa Wilson. I'm the assistant principal for curriculum and instruction at Nico Valley High School. I've been in the district and at Nico Valley. Um, this is my 13th year. Um, was an English teacher and instructional technology coordinator before stepping into this new role. Well, we're so glad to have both of you here today. Um, let's start the conversation. Can you share a few questions or concerns that your teachers have in regards to supporting students this year? Yeah, teachers are asking a lot of questions. Um, and and I, I think a lot of them, I remember listening to what Julie and Jessica were talking about on their podcast about rooming and Zooming, and they talked about the roots of good teaching. And I think that that is a lot of where the questions are stemming from. So the questions sound the same, actually, as they as they usually have, like, you know, how do we engage students who are, um, how, do, how do we engage students? How do we make learning more relevant? Um, how do we differentiate? Um, but the variables that we're using to answer those questions are very different. And then they keep changing too. So like once we plug in some of the variables, then they change again. Uh, but the questions are similar. And I think that, that, um, that it's, it's, it's the environment that has, has changed a lot. Melissa, what do you think? I would agree. I, I definitely, in terms of engagement, you know, how, how do we continue to differentiate, especially in online setting and then in-person setting? And now we've got both going on with the rooming and zooming. So how are we trying to engage all of these students mm -hmm. while also, you know, getting through the content and good practicing, good, good teaching. I think the other piece is just how are we promoting um, advocacy in the classroom? How are we helping students stay organized in this digital world? I think for a lot of our high school students, there are so many different things to look at online. So how are we providing the proper access that they need to, to be successful? And then how are we helping them stay organized and stay consistent across all of their classes? And I know that's been one of the biggest questions for our teachers is how can we continue to support them in this way, um, especially when many of them are, are kind of getting lost in, in, in the shuffle, especially as just as just mentioned, things constantly are changing, new schedules, new time changes, and, and different things like that. So, you know, how do we adjust to change and how do we help our students adjust to change? It's been a struggle. Melissa brings up a good point. Uh, the one, the questions about executive functioning and supporting students socially and emotionally have probably been more frequent questions uh, simply because in the past, maybe what we could do is uh, we can read them better because we can physically see them in their faces. We can respond to their social emotional needs just because they're in the building and we can see them. So that has been a challenge. Uh, the other thing is um, I know, and Melissa, you talked a little bit about um, how do they stay organized. I know our freshmen especially have had had a learning curve. Um, and so we've, we've thought a lot about that population specifically um, as they're learning to do high school, they're learning it online. They, you know, transition from middle school to high school in a pandemic. Um, and that group, especially those teams have been asking questions about how do we, you know, help kids learn how to do high school when they're not in high school. And I think as we shift to some conversations now, we're, we're starting to obviously start talking about the fall and what the fall is going to look like and what we need to do to prepare. I think 
just what you said, like how do we help kids do school is, is really, really it. Like what is this going to look like and how do we get them kind of back to where we were before, but with a new mindset, right? Because obviously we've all changed. Um, I think that they've shown us their resilience and um, how they adapt, but how do we now kind of take what we've learned um, and then also come back to, you know, being in school full day um, and, and going through that process. Cause I think that that's going to be adjustment for, for all of us. You guys have really started to hit on a lot of ideas and concepts about supporting students and everything that they do. Can you maybe take a second and kind of dive into a couple of specifics about how you've supported students who are struggling with SEL, with instruction, engagement, executive functioning, maybe just some of the things that your departments and your buildings are are really doing to kind of take that next step and uh, support students as they transition to high school or continue their educational journey? And I would say in, in regards to an instructional, I think that one of the biggest things that we, our, our teachers are doing and we're encouraging them to do is continue to develop those relationships with students. Obviously, uh, one of the best ways to engage kids, right, is to develop that relationship first. Um, in addition, um, modeling right now and coaching students through different things, I think, um, kind of connected back to relationships, but reaching out to kids, making that connection, asking what help they need, being available when they need the help. I think that that's really what's carrying our instruction right now. In addition, um, providing resources for kids. I already mentioned this, but, but modeling, you know, showing them how do you stay organized? How am I, how am I organizing my Google classroom page so that you can access my materials? You know, and, and ultimately I think now that we've shifted to students actually being in the building, right? Like how do you engage in class when you're physically in class? class. How do you do that with your peers while also, you know, keeping a a, a safe distance? I I think a lot of these things are in mind and I know our PLCs have done a really, really awesome job just having these conversations and, um, trying to brainstorm different ways that they can continue those really important, solid instructional practices that I think our district, um, embodies so well. And I I think that that's just a constant conversation. So I I must, I mean, our teachers are rock stars and they've been, they've been really doing a a wonderful job kind of navigating this. And and, and again, I think that in my opinion, a lot of this instructionally comes back to good old fashioned teaching and just trying to make it work in, in these different settings. Just, we want to give you a chance to answer as well, but I just want to pause on something you said, Melissa, that I think Candy and I were talking about the other day. Our teachers are just amazing and do amazing things. And every day we are impressed and just amazed at the great things that they do for kids because really the kids are at the heart of what they're doing. So I wanted to pause and kind of highlight that because it's something that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. And what I'll extend that a little bit and say that when I think about the specific things that we're doing, the power has come from teachers having time to talk to other teachers, which we typically have not had in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have that academic support time in the afternoon to talk one-on-one with students. Um, I know specifically, you know, as the English department chair, I can speak to um, teachers doing individual reading and writing conferences that in the past we had to do some sort of like scheduling gymnastics. And now we have built-in time into the school day to do that. Um, So when I think about like the variables that really impact student learning beside the teacher, him or herself, um, it has to do with formative and summative assessment, how we use class time and grading and grading. And so there is more horizontal alignment this year, meaning like if you're in freshman English, your English one experience is going to be very similar. If you're in English two, regardless of the teacher you have, your, your experience is going to be very similar. And all of that, the, the genesis of all of that is the teacher collaboration. So um, they have really, I mean, 
in when given the opportunity, um, the teachers have really used that as like, okay, the best thing that we can do is use each other as resources. Um, I have the student who's struggling. What are you doing? I have the student who's doing really well. Here's what I'm, here's what's working. Um, and then also thinking very deliberately about you know, at the beginning, I think we had some missteps with how much we were assigning for independent days um, and the block scheduling, um, thinking more intentionally about how we use uh, live time, paring down what we expect for independent time, um, and thinking, um, you know, uh, in terms of summative assessment, um, so like the grade that actually goes in the grade book, um, assessing that, we usually do two formative assessments before the summative and the rubric is the same all three times. So a student has had two opportunities that are ungraded, but they still get feedback before doing some sort of performance assessment. And so in that way, I think we're supporting all students, um, you know, emotionally, um, academically, and, um, and then it allows us to, because teachers have time to collaborate, um, help the kids who that system isn't working for them. Okay, now what else? What's what's a plus one that we can do to extend? And then let's use our resources like our school social workers, um, our LMC directors, our guidance counselors, um, our school uh, psychologists, things like that. It's funny that you said that. I was just thinking, I was looking kind of at my notes here and, and I was thinking the same thing in regards to like our, our guidance counselors kind of connected to SEL. I think that, that the collaboration piece has been huge. And I think that they've done a really good job of keeping teachers in the know when it comes to student needs, what they're hearing in the class house, what our social workers are hearing. I know that different classes, I know our, our, our PE classes have been doing a bunch of lessons connected to SEL. Um, we have our academic support teams who meet weekly talking about specific students, alerting teachers about different things that they need to know and really just keeping track of, of different things that need to happen. I would say taking that another step um, in regards to to supporting students. We're trying to, for students who maybe have struggled and are, are, are having a harder time kind of grasping what they need to do to get organized and get back on track in classes. We have academic coaches um, and different programs in place in, in our schools where I think gives opportunities really for teachers just to connect with kids. Um, we found that that's one of the best things that we can do is just make those connections happen and provide teachers time and space to do so like overwhelmed hearing all the wonderful things you're doing for students. And it sounds um, equally, there's so many things that are positive things that are happening between those teacher to teacher conversations as well. And the support that's um, coming about just to, to help one another, but also help each other's students along the way. Um, what does that balance look like between some of the remote learning and the hybrid learning and the blended learning that's happening in school right now? How do we, how do we support students and staff through some of the, some of that work? Again, I'll go back to, I think teachers, Teachers ultimately are the greatest force in the classroom. You know, if I think about, we've had a lot of conversations about in English, like looking at our texts and, and thinking like, you know, how are they serving? We use the phrase mirrors, windows, and sliding doors. You know, how do the texts reflect our students? How do they introduce them to experiences that are different than their own? And when I think about that, like we can talk about text, we can talk about technology, we can talk about all of those things, but at the end of the day, the most powerful tool for learning in the classroom is the teacher. And so um, how do we support them, you know, and, and what can we do? I think teachers, again, having time to collaborate, having time to talk to each other, is not only the best professional development that we can offer because it's on a consistent and ongoing basis and has immediate application to student learning, um, but also um, 
teachers um, get the most support from their colleagues. They're the ones who are in the trenches with them, teaching the same prep with similar students who are having similar questions, concerns, successes. Um, they're comparing apples to apples when we have um, horizontal alignment. And when we talk about data-driven instruction, that can really only happen when those teachers have time to collaborate. And not in a way that's like, I created this handout, you can use it if you want. But here is the objective of the day. How are we going to teach it? That's a very different type of collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the best the best way we can support students um, is, is really thinking about how, how can we provide teacher structure to do that? And then it becomes, all right, how can we provide supports that maybe um, extend beyond the teacher? And um, I think that that's where it comes again back to guidance counselors, social workers, things like that. Melissa, I'm curious about your answer to this. Yeah, you know, I, I think in, in just trying to think about some of the things that we've talked about, I think in the past when it comes to, um, you know, trying to, to engage all students, um, and then obviously in the setting, it's a little bit different, but I think that just providing different opportunities for some choice and voice for our students, I agree with, with everything Jeff said yeah. about the teacher is the most powerful piece, but then what then is the teacher doing mm -hmm. um, to provide opportunities for all their learners to really take ownership of what they're doing and to truly engage in the content. So I would say, giving opportunities for choice and voice for all students, um, giving opportunities for students to ask questions, to answer questions, to maybe ask questions of each other. I think sometimes we have to, we can't just assume that they know how to do that. We have to guide them through that process. But I think questioning and um, student voice is more powerful now than ever, because I'm sure just like all of us have all these thoughts and opinions. So do our, so do our students. So giving them opportunities to share their voice. And a lot of times when you give them first, the option for choice, they'll do that a little bit more. So I think continuing to do those good practices, even mm -hmm. if remote in person, whatever, it's still, it's still helpful. I would also say that another big thing is just those frequent check-ins. I know Jess mentioned, you know, the, the afternoon support time. Um, I think now with, with, for example, if we've got to have a teacher who's in the classroom teaching and then the kids in the room are, are working on something or maybe working in small groups, that's the time then with students on Zoom that they actually are like, hey, can you meet me in a breakout room? I want to touch base with you really fast. Um, I've been so impressed with teachers that I've seen, how they manage their time and how they can move from like Zoom to breakout room to, get, um, to something on the presentation that they're showing to the class and then also walking around and, and asking students questions. I mean, they wear so many different hats in, in one lesson. Um, however, that's really how you engage all of those different kids. Um, and again, it's been for me just super, since I'm, I'm not teaching to see that, um, I'm just blown away at just the, the variety and the creativity and, um, just the, the flexibility. Um, cause again, you lose a little bit of control when you're doing things like that. And I know from, from my experience, right. Being in the classroom, sometimes you do like to have that ownership of things. And in this setting, it's, it's hard to do that. So, um, I, I think that again, coming back to good old fashioned teaching, a lot of these things that I think that we were talking about before the pandemic, I think are still here. It's just, I, I think our teachers have really gotten creative. They've used each other and, um, continue to empower one another to try different things in the classroom. So. And I think Melissa brings up a really good point about um, student choice. And I think that and and thinking about tapping into uh, their interests, and that doesn't mean that, you know, everything in, in class, like, yes, there's still a place to learn about a little bit of Shakespeare. There's still a place to extend. Um, but where can, how can we meet them where they're at so that they want to follow us into something that is more um, beyond their, their um 
comfort level. Um, and I think that being in remote learning and thinking about rooming and zooming, it has removed the veneer of compliance. I no longer have a captive audience. Um, and so it's been a really good opportunity for teachers, um, for all of us to step back and think about like, what am I doing and why are they not doing it? Like, why do they not want to engage? Like, what can I do um, to do that? And Melissa keeps bringing up relationships and, and it's right. I mean, that at the at the end of the day, sometimes students will do something for us, even if it's not something that they want to do. Um, but it shouldn't have to be that either. Um, like, how do we create content and, and engaging activities? Um, choice is one way. And I think that those activities are best created again, I'll go back to teacher collaboration. Like when teachers can talk about like, all right, how do we provide student choice in this unit? Five teachers talking about that is going to be far more creative than one teacher doing it on her own and then sharing with a team. And then another teacher taking something that someone else created and trying to make it their own. It just doesn't really work as well. You guys are, you guys are really starting to hit on a lot of amazing topics about personalized learning, supporting kids, responding to their needs, and really creating an engaging environment for them. So kind of our last question is what's next for each of your buildings and your departments? It's a million dollar question for education too. That's right. I know yeah. I'll, I'll speak for just some of the stuff that we're doing at NEQA. And I know that the three schools, um, something that, that I think is really great. We, we do collaborate. We do share these different things, different ideas. And um, obviously we're always learning. I, I would say that right now we're starting to shift our conversations to next year and what our students will need um, based off of what we're currently seeing in the classrooms. I know we've asked our departments to meet in their PLCs and we've kind of created some artifacts of, of, of what are we what are we learning about our students or what do we need to know about our students connected to you know, a, a variety of different things. Um, and then we are also, in, in addition, after that reflection, we're asking our then teachers. So if you teach sophomore English, we're asking the junior English PLC, like, hey, let's take a look at what the sophomore group said and start um, figuring out how are we going to embed some of these, these core ideas that we know all kids need, um, advocacy, organization, um, the SEL component, awareness, all of these skills that maybe what we're seeing are not as strong as they used to be. How are we going to enhance them in our classroom? How are we going to truly engage with it, um, embed it into what we're doing on a daily basis, and then continue to extend those lessons throughout the year? So we're really trying to, to look a little bit at it just our instruction, our curriculum, how can we embed different things that we can continue to model for kids? Because we know that if a student hears something across the board in all of their classes, maybe a little bit different because obviously different subject areas, but especially connected to a skill that we know that they need an executive functioning skill that they need to be successful. That's only going to help them get stronger. So I think that we're, we're starting those conversations. We've also, we've also asked for our, our colleagues at the middle schools to share with us, especially for our incoming freshmen, what's happening at the eighth grade level. They have given us some really great feedback and also artifacts that our freshman teachers have really started to dig into in regards to what, 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 it, what does it look like with these, these incoming freshmen? What, what are they coming in with when it comes to skill? What have they been doing this year? That's different than last year. What can we expect? And, and just really giving time to our PLCs to start planning. Um, I, I think that next year in in the fall, as we meet our students and as we as we get started, I think that this time and this PLC time is going to be more valuable than ever. Because in my mind, once we actually see it, then we have to start planning. And, and again, I, I would argue that one of the, the biggest things that we that we miss as educators is just that we need time. And um, obviously we're going a million miles a minute, but I, I, I do think that these conversations are going to continue throughout the summer into the fall. Um, 
as we, you know, continue to make a plan for how we can help students find success. So that's kind of what's next for us is, is just really trying to figure out how we can include these things in the classroom. So the kids are hearing them multiple times a day from various teachers and in, in, in developing those skills. Yeah. And Melissa, Melissa talked from kind of a building wide lens. So I'll talk um, a department lens and, and just give a, an example of what the English department is thinking about. But I think, you know, I want to speak just for education in general. What, as I think about what's next, I can say what I don't want to have happen is I do not want to go back to how it was. Um, there are a lot of things about the things that we used to do that um, I don't, you know, were, were kind of things that we kept doing just because they had always been done. Um, and I am so glad to be an educator at this moment in time because I think we have a moral and ethical responsibility to scrutinize and reevaluate what we're doing and self-reflect about our role in that um, because we are living in a time of, of great social change. And that doesn't mean that everything can and should change, but if we don't, think about what should, um, then I think we've done ourselves a huge disservice. Um, so thinking about um, that in terms of education in general, a system that tends to move maybe at a glacial speed, um, I hope that this is a, a, an impetus and an excuse and a reason and a call to self-reflect and change. And then how that applies specifically to the English department, I can say um, our summer book study is uh, Joe Feldman's Grading for Equity. Um, and so we're going to look really intentionally about, you know, what are our grading practices? Um, I think, you know, grading at its heart can canon, I think, is really subjective. Um, and it's it runs deep with people, um, just like how teachers spend class time. And um, I know we've asked a lot of questions this year about, like, what's the role of a due date? Um, if kids who are, you know, struggling to get things in and there's a perfectly good reason at home, should they be penalized for turning something in late? If so, to what extent? Um, what's the role of grading a formative assessment? Should a kid be penalized for learning something later? But if we don't grade formative assessments and nothing's in the grade book for a month, that's not helpful either. So we've asked a lot of questions about grades, grading, assessments. Um, and so we're going to spend a year um, exploring those questions. So we captured some of the department questions. And then going back to your uh, podcast on stakeholders, um, we've captured questions from students, questions from parents, and questions from our school community. And it's like, if these are questions that people are asking about the English department practices on grading, then what are our answers? Um, and so that's what's next for us next year. Brian, I think we have our next, next podcast recording um, about grading practices. Uh, I would agree 100%. Uh, there's a, I think uh, Jess uh, hit on a really great topic. Yeah. And both of you, I feel like after uh, your what's next, it's like a mic drop moment. Um, and I'm just so impressed. And um, it fills my heart up just listening about like the, the pride you have in, in the work that you do and the support that you provide to students and teachers. So we want to thank you both for being here today and look forward to opportunities in the future to hear, hear from you again. Thanks for having us. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having us. We would like to thank both Jess and Melissa for their time today. Your hard work to support students and staff in your buildings does not go unnoticed. We hope you know how appreciated you are each day. We would like to thank members of our curriculum instruction team for their leadership on this topic and extend a special thank you to members of our communications department, Janet Bulio and Clayton Urbanic for making the podcast happen. If you have any further questions, please email your questions to curriculum at ipsd.org. We'd like to thank you for your time today and hope you enjoyed being part of the conversation.